The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, pour yourself a cup of ja- uh, cup of joe and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 590 with guest Mark Dunn, recorded live Sunday, June 27, 2010. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering Silverlight 4 video training with Billy Hollis on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms, WPF, Silverlight, and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And now, the man who had a little lamb... Little ham, little cheese, mayo, you know. Carl Franklin. You're listening to the .NET Rocks Live Weekend. Carl and Richard are here. And for this hour, we're talking with Mark Dunn, the first co-host of .NET Rocks. Good to have you back, Mark. Oh, man, it's good to be here, Carl. You know, I'm, uh, I'm more excited than Tiger Woods. Uh, in Vegas, when the Chicken Ranch has a two-for-one special. That's how excited I am to be here. That's nice. I love you, man. <laughs> Chicken Ranch. Oh. oh, man. Hey, who's our caller? Uh, this is Brian in St. Louis. Hey, Brian. How hey, you Brian? doing? Welcome back. I'm fine. Hey, I was worried that Mark might not be able to express how excited he was, so I had some more suggestions for him. Oh, well, oh. please, tell us. <laughs> yeah, I think I saw the email. Can you read some of those off? Those were great. Sure. Mark is more excited than Mark Miller on a Red Bull IV drip. <laughs> <laughs> Mark is jacked up like an El Camino on concrete blocks in a redneck's front yard. Nice. <laughs> Mark is whipped up like Donald Trump's hair on a windy day. <laughs> Mark is higher than Willie Nelson on the space station. (laughs) (laughs) Mark is pumped up like Carl's inflatable girlfriend. Oh, Oh, no. I thought we were never going to tell anybody about that, Mark. (laughs) Oh, man. Is that all you got, Brian? Is that what you came here to say? That's all I got. Just excited about Mark being on the show. <laughs> Me too. Thanks for <laughs> calling in. It's been in. a while. I mean, I'm uh, I'm glad to be back on and talk to you guys. I mean, we see each other at conferences, but uh, you know, we usually just have short "Hey, how you doing?" conversation. It's true. So, what have you been working on, my friend? 
Uh, actually, I've been uh, doing some Azure work lately. Uh, or Azure. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. I think we'll just call it Azure. Microsoft's cloud stuff and be happy about it. It's Azure. 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 Yeah. I was actually wearing uh, the hat when I went uh, in for my annual physical uh, not too long ago. And my doctor said, oh, that's, uh, I think she said French for blue. So I, I don't know if that's right or not. That That is actually accurate, yes. But Azure is a kind of blue. You know, I have the artistic daughter. who it's sort of the sky blue. Every time I say blue, she goes, that's not blue, that's Azure. I'm like, yeah, no, okay, it's blue. That's a, what kind of blue? Light blue. But yeah, I can't get colors right. I'm always wrong. I'm okay with that. Because you have a penis in a, in a house full of vaginas. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, I am a gender minority, but I'm okay with that. They, you know, just try and stay clear of colors. But yes, it is yeah. a color. But I don't think you're using it for colors. I think you're using it for something else. But anyway, I thought it was kind of cool that, you know, she, she knew what Azure was for a moment, but she really didn't. So, right. Uh, I started to tell her about cloud computing and then, uh, you know, she stuck something in my mouth and made me be quiet. <laughs> well, the alternatives are all so much more worse. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it could have been something somewhere else. Yes. So that, that was later in the day. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Where, yeah, your, ma- your mouth may not be full, but you still don't want to talk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what in all have you been doing with Azure? Just messing around with it, putting services up there or what? Uh, no, actually, we uh, we started to work with uh, a couple of guys, uh, Mark Schweigert and uh, Vlad Veniskoski, if I'm pronouncing his last name right, um, who wrote a framework that sits on top of, uh, of Azure called OGDI. Uh, OGDI is O-G-D-I. It stands for Open Government Data Initiative. Right. And uh, it's actually a little framework that makes it easy for uh, federal or... Uh, uh, state-level agencies to uh, to take data and publish that up to the cloud and then be able to visualize it. And uh, they're on version two of that right now, so we built uh, the training videos for them, uh, you know, to, to walk somebody in soup to nuts and show them how to get their data up there and uh, and get it going. Cool. Yeah. And how was the experience? Uh, it's been good. I mean, you know, I, I'm kind of an enterprise guy at heart anyway. I've always worked with, you know, uh, things like BizTalk since it came out. So, uh, you know, I, I actually am pretty excited about Azure. I think cloud computing is is going to take off and be a, a great thing for enterprise customers. Now, why do you think enterprise is going to value cloud computing so much? They already own so much infrastructure, you know, and you've got to really battle the costs. I think it has a lot to do with... Uh, with the cost of trying to provision uh, new servers and rapidly adopt. And it's key to me to say rapidly adopt uh, new technologies when they come out. I mean, if you look at the uh, sort of complexity of, uh, of configuring something like BizTalk or SharePoint, uh, you know, that seems to be the pain point uh, with both of those uh, with customers we've had. I mean, once they get them stood up and get them running, uh, you know, that that's easy then, but, you know, getting everything configured and tweaked out. Well, you know, once you start to put things like that in the cloud and uh, and make it easy to, you know, spin up another instance of it uh, and take away all the configuration hassle uh, from the customer, I suddenly think you've got uh, a pretty good value proposition then. 
Yeah, I just didn't feel like if anybody could run BizTalk, it would be these larger enterprise customers. You know, the, in, in that model, you're sort of advocating, why would we ever sell a copy of BizTalk again? Right. True. This, you, where, I mean, when I look at a, a smaller business where they ha- don't have an IT guy or they only have one IT guy and he just can't learn all this stuff, the more he can outsource that provisioning, the better off he is. Right, and I, I do think it makes sense for the small guys too. I I I think you know the uh, the pricing structure needs to evolve a little bit. I, I think uh, you know even now, uh, it, it's still going to be pretty tough for a small business. Yeah, it's well, it's not cheap, but then neither is owning hardware. Yeah, exactly right. I think it's more compelling for a small business because there's there's less uh, risk involved. You just shell out a few bucks for some time on a machine versus, you know, all just thousands and thousands of dollars to get off the ground. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, and you know, I think I think part of the shock that comes to people is that they did have to pay for it, and you know, uh, I, I think in the real world they they see buying a server is you know I've got something in my in my shop that, that's real I can touch. Right, an asset. And Right, and when you start to go with, with something like Azure, uh, you know that that's not tangible in, in the same way to them. Uh, you know, you've got all this computing power at your beck and call, but they're not really they're not really seeing the investment as something tangible in their shop. So uh, because it's software to them, I, I think there's this uh, sort of trend today to expect things to be free or cost very very little. Uh, when, you know, in fact, it's not the same way. Uh, you know, the analogy I always see for Azure is that, you know, it's like buying, uh, you know, water or electricity. Right. Uh, you know, it's a utility. And, uh, you know, once you start to look at it that way and look at the fact that, you know, you're sort of paying as you go, uh, you're paying for what you use, what you consume, uh, it's, it's really not a bad deal. You know, they, I, I'm with you, Mark, on the sense that when you buy a server, that's sort of a capital investment. You have an asset, and that's a number that everyone can get their head around. The numbers for owning that asset, the technical skills and the software and so forth, those are softer numbers. People have a tougher time getting a feel for that. So they don't realize they're paying the cost that, that the utility computing uh, ultimately accounts for. And, but on a balance sheet perspective... Azure, this whole cloud computing model, always that always comes under operating expense. It's never a capital expenditure because you don't right. own anything. So I wonder if this is as much an accounting problem as it is a technical problem. It may be. I mean, you've got you've got a uh, you know sort of a a perspective on it there that I haven't thought about yet. But you could be very well right. Yeah, well, I've bought a lot of computers for companies before and played that whole game of how much stuff can we slide under the capital account? How many things can we build into the purchase price of the product, like training and software licenses and so forth, so that it stays in the capital budget as part of the asset rather than goes under the operating budget? Because the operating budget is the one that everyone goes crazy for, right? Trying to really push on spend less, spend less, spend less. Because a capital budget, we get to show that on the balance sheet year over year with gradual depreciation. Although anybody who's ever tried to actually recapture asset value of a server, hey, look, I'm putting on my accounting hat here. It's crazy. In other words, try to sell a server for money knows that they're not assets at all. The moment you own them, it's worse than a car. You drive it off the lot, it's worth nothing. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you can, uh, I guess, depreciate the cost, uh, write that off, uh, you know, against your taxes for, what, three years? Uh, I think it is. I mean, yeah. we buy computers all the time, and, uh, you know, we've got the depreciation schedule set up for all the hardware that we own. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, at the end of that three years, uh, what's that computer worth? And, you know, we all know it's very little. In, uh, you know, hardware years, uh, it, it's uh, aged out, you know, three years into the future. Well, you remember when we used to be, I really think about back in the, in the the dot-com boom was when we were on the 18-month cycle of you got new hardware every 18 months and you never upgraded anything on a given machine. You just bought a new machine with the latest stuff on it. Sure. And I feel like after the dot-com boom, that we fell off that wagon. Like People held on the machines a lot longer. And at the same time, computers stopped progressing as much. You know, We, we weren't gaining half a gigahertz every, every uh, year. In, per, in terms of performance. Right, right. Well, and, you know, I, I uh, used to want to run my own exchange server and ran a web server for a while, and it, it didn't take me long to, uh, to decide that, you know what, I want a host uh, to take care of all that for me. Right. Uh, I don't mind paying, you know, per month uh, not to have to worry about that. You know, I don't want to have to worry about the backups and that sort of thing. Yeah, and that's that's really what it's all about, well, all those infrastructure costs. Uh, I've had the experience where you've, uh, you know, added more hardware to a website, increased the number of web servers, and the site went no faster because yeah. this wasn't, you, you weren't burying the machines. You were strangling them with code, and uh, more hardware isn't going to save you. And, and I don't feel like that issue surfaced properly in the cloud world yet. We still have this belief that I'll just turn the tap a little more and more will happen. Hey, Mark, how's your training going? How's the training uh, business? Actually, it's, it's going pretty well. We, uh, you know, we, of course, do a lot of, uh, of training that is uh, you know, state government focused. Right. So, uh, so even though you know, the economy slows down, uh, that slowed down some, but probably not as much as most corporate training. And, uh, you know, we saw training start to pick up again uh, a little bit at the beginning of this year. And, uh, you know, the, the corporate training is now coming back. Uh, you know, we're not back to, uh, at one point, we uh, were running something like 18 or 20 classes a month. Uh, I don't know that we'll ever see that again. Uh, but, you know, now we're, we're averaging about, uh, 10 to 12 classes a month. Still a lot yeah, of learners. That is, that's really good. We had a tweet, uh, this is interesting. We had a tweet from Lazy Coder who said the same day DNR Live is interviewing Microsoft shills, <laughs> hurting code posts say, why did you stop using .NET show? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a, there's a perception out there in the .NET community that a bunch of people are, you know, like there's this huge diaspora away from .NET. And frankly, I'm not seeing it. I mean, I'm seeing a lot of .NET developers using tools that aren't .NET as well. And yeah, some people are coming and going, but that's always been the case. I don't right. see this. I don't see this huge migration away from .NET like, like uh, the conventional wisdom says there is. Well, we, we actually uh, started doing some training for the military uh, a few months ago. And, uh, you know, of all things, they wanted us to teach them Java, uh, which, you know, I've taught Java in the past, and one of my instructors is deep into it. So we said, yeah, we can do that. So we, uh, 
you know, got wrapped up on the latest, you know, version of Java. And, uh, of course, you know, the development environment is different. They wanted to use uh, a development environment called Eclipse, which I, I'm sure you've probably yeah, heard of. Yeah, sure. It's the Java environment, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I mean, there, there are other ones aside from Eclipse. I can't think of, uh, you know. It's some probably, of the ones. probably the most popular, though, I would say. Yeah, Eclipse is probably the most popular. And, you know, you do get things like IntelliSense with Eclipse, but... Uh, Dude, I mean, you know, I, I had to go through the uh, the whole, you know, start from scratch and set up the Eclipse environment, get everything installed. And, uh, you know, me being used to using, using Visual Studio, I was like, holy cow, how do these guys do this? Uh, and, you know, the, the argument comes, comes across that it's, uh, it's free, you know, all this stuff is free. Uh, but, you know, uh, one of my friends, Mark Berry, often says there's free like a beer and there's free like a puppy. And yeah. if, you know, somebody gives you a puppy, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of investment that you have to put in to take care of the puppy. Yeah. And to me, that's the way, you know, the Java tools strike me. Uh, even though they're free, I mean, there, there was a lot that we had to do, uh, you know, to get, get that up and going. Uh, and even when we started to, to look at doing forms development, uh, you know what? What the uh, the military agency that we're working with used, uh, they had to pay for for what they were using for uh, reforms development. That part wasn't free. Uh, so you know, I, I I don't just see it now as wow, all this stuff is free. Why would we look at Microsoft when we can go uh, to the Lamp Stack and have have everything without cost? Uh, there's a definite cost associated with with going that route. Well, and it seems to me that the cost of training, the cost of development, the cost of maintenance quickly overwhelms any licensing costs anyway. You know, when you yeah, look at total absolutely. cost of ownership, it's about a break-even proposition, if not worse. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. But I, I was happy to go through that experience of, of getting – I didn't do – all the training myself, but I was there to make sure things were going smoothly. Uh, yeah. And and we, you know, we're going to wind up teaching something like 80, 80 to one hundred and twenty developers uh, over the next couple of months. That's cool. Uh, so you know, it, it was it was a good contract. And are you're doing uh, Silverlight, SharePoint, like the whole gamut of technologies? Yeah, as usual. I mean, we we still do BizTalk, believe it or not. We, uh, I, you know, I'm amazed that we run a BizTalk class. It seems like every six or eight weeks. Really? Yeah, we do. I mean, that's the reaction I usually get from people. They're like, "Really?" We'll talk about an expensive product. Well, I mean, it's still it's still you know used by a lot of uh, enterprise customers, and uh, in the Southeast U.S., I mean, we're we're one of the only companies that does BizTalk training. Really? Hmm. Okay. Wow. So, you know, I'm, I'm getting the calls and somebody needs that. Yeah, it makes sense to me. And, uh, and well, what sort of projects are people using BizTalk for these days? Well, well you know, the standard stuff that we, we usually look at, they're using it for application integration. Um, and actually, one of the most recent clients that we did uh, some work for was up in Vermont, uh, a company called Green Mountain Coffee. I've uh, heard of them. <laughs> yeah, Carl, you, you've probably heard of them. I'm probably but, one uh, of their biggest consumers, yeah. Yeah, uh, and I know, you know, our friend Julie uh, Lerman, she's uh, she's done some work for them as well. So, really yeah. great client, but, uh, you know, they're they're using BizTalk. 
uh, needed some help with it. We've done some work for Kelly Girl Services, mm-hmm. uh, who's using uh, BizTalk as well. And uh, actually, I was trying to remember the name. There's a coffee company out in California uh, as well that we went out and did some BizTalk consulting for them. Huh. But, you know, it's a great tool for application integration and, and you know, pulling in trading partners, uh, managing business processes. Uh, it's a great tool for that. When I looked at BizTalk, was back when it was the alternative to EDI, that it was really about bridging between EDI. It seems like it's evolved away from that. So is EDI, for that matter. Right. Well, uh, you know, in the beginning, it really, the, the, the core of BizTalk has not changed since, uh, you know, 2000, in my mind. I mean, I've been working with it since it was in beta. And, uh, you know, EDI, I think, initially was something that attracted customers because it was so painful to deal with EDI. Uh, and, you know, you look at, uh, uh, you know, the the documentation for some of these EDI formats, and there are these big, thick books. Uh, I mean, it's really complicated. Uh, so a company named Cobast uh, built a set of adapters uh, for EDI uh, that, that you could get uh, when BizTalk came out pretty early. Uh, that was kind of painful to use, too, if anybody listening goes back that far. But eventually, Microsoft took the EDI uh, adapters in and uh, and sort of retooled them, and now they, they work very well. They're very easy to work with. Uh, so, you know, if you're using EDI, that, that's probably uh, uh, something very attractive to you to be able to use a tool like this talk and simplify everything. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. We've been blown away by the uptake and the quick adoption of Silverlight. It's no secret, though, that the platform didn't provide for consistent integration with the web analytics services. Well, not anymore. As you might have already heard, Microsoft announced its Silverlight Analytics Framework, which solves the above-mentioned problem. But what's also interesting is that Telerik already provides support for the framework. Telerik's the first UI components vendor to offer handlers for the Silverlight Analytics Framework. Using RAD controls for Silverlight, you can immediately benefit from the advantages of the platform and start tracking the statistics of your applications. You can read details and download the handlers at Telerik.com Silverlight. And hey, don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks on their Facebook fan page, Facebook.com slash Telerik. Uh, you know, I, I guess the question I should ask is, uh, and I'm sure other folks have asked you this as well, is the, what was your experience like being a co-host on the early .NET Rocks? Oh, you know, it was wild. Uh, you know, I remember Carl and I talking, uh, uh, you know, way back, Carl, I think it, we were talking about uh, uh, NPR because you, you liked, uh, yeah. what was the name of that show? What Car, do you know? Car Talk, What Do You Know, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, all those great shows. Right, right. And I, I remember back, you know, you, you mentioning, uh, you know, hey, I wonder if uh, something like that would be good uh, for .NET developers. And uh Really, nothing like .NET Rocks existed. Well, there was uh, no even iPods or portable music players. I mean, there was MP3s, of course, but people just listened to them on their computers uh, or burned them to CDs. That's it. That's really yeah. all we had. So, so yeah, the whole know, idea I, I guess, of making a radio you know, show was completely weird to people. It was, but, you know, it, it was a lot of fun. I mean, to me, that was very exciting. And, uh, uh, you know, it... it it gave me, you know, sort of a fanboy benefit of getting to talk to a lot of guys that, uh, 
you know, I read their books or I saw them speak at conferences and, uh, uh, you know, suddenly they're accessible because, you know, we're, we're chatting with them every week. I think the one that sent us over the edge was Alan Cooper. Oh, absolutely. We I were, love being We were so, I about. think that's when you started getting excited, really. Yeah, I was. <laughs> I was very excited to talk to Alan. Yeah. And I, he always strikes me as somebody with a, a massive vocabulary. Uh, you know, he just... I learned the word n- nascent and moribund, which are sort <laughs> yes, of opposite moribund. words. Yes. But, you know, he used them within 10 minutes of each other. And uh, I was like, huh? Never heard of those. So I looked them up and, yeah. Now I keep a vocabulary book with me in my car. And any time that I'm like sitting at a toll booth or something like that, I just pick it up and learn a new word. And I would oh, like yeah. to point out that the Diamond Rio, the PMP300, hmm. which I have one of, I have it was the very first MP3 player. And this was the one where Diamond won, you know, it was the RIA tried to stop the MP3 player from being released because they said right. MP3 would destroy the recording market. And it sort of did. Yeah, they, they turned out they were right, and but nobody seems to care. And they won, the day they won that lawsuit, and it was 1998, uh, right. I ordered one of those players. Wow! And uh, all sixty-four megs of it, my friend. Yeah. So today, <laughs> that would it would hold one .NET Rocks episode. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. That's <laughs> right. all you could load onto it. Although, and again, this because it's pre two thousand nine eleven. That Rio used to get me into the jump sheet of a lot of airliners. I wrote it because the pilots love gadgets, and no one had ever seen anything like that. So I used to, you know, the the uh, stewardess would see that thing and say, "Ooh, I'm sure the pilot would like to see that." And I, we uh, up, I'd go. They'd play with it for a little while, and I ended up riding in the front of the plane the rest of the way, which was oh, that's cool. Yeah, I I, I started collecting landing experiences on different airliners. I've been in, I have uh, landed in a seven thirty seven and a seven six seven and an A three twenty. That and I would, and then nine eleven came along, and that's just not an option anymore. Yep. Yep. Man, it really did change your air travel. It sure did, yeah. But for the worse. But, uh, yep. Yeah, the Diamond Rio, the original MP3 player. Boy, that was a struggle. Make that stuff work. But, uh, it was the beginning. So that's the the way that all started off. And and Donna Rocks was there before the word podcast had been created. Yeah, yeah. And um, at the time, you know, we were doing a lot of training, so this was sort of a side project, and I asked Mark if he wanted to make a couple recordings with me. We had no idea what was going to happen. We just put them on the website, and I remember sending out, uh, you know, just notifications via our newsletter that these shows were available, and I guess that's when it sort of all started. But Yeah, man. it took off very quickly, and uh, I, I guess, you know, we started getting the feedback uh Within a couple of months of starting the show, that people were uh, were writing the uh, you know the MP3s off to uh, CDs and listening to them in their cars. Right, right during drive time. Yeah, it's all about the commute. We're still making those AB files, but I don't know that people are necessarily using them anymore. The stats seem to show those are not downloaded like uh, the regular files are. Yeah, in fact, um, most people have abandoned all formats except for MP3. Torrents have sort of run their course with us, too. We found, even when our torrents were running, that um, people weren't really using them. It was a very low number of people using the torrents. And uh, then what happened was the software we were using for a tracker, which was a really simple and 
scaled down, very performant tracker, uh, got hacked. And people started using it to host their own torrents. And then we were forced to go to, uh, what was it? The one with the frog, the torrent thing with the frog. What is it called? And it was almost like Azurius, I think it was called. Yeah. Well, Azurius was the big old Java one. Yeah, we were forced to go to that. And yeah. that was just like ridiculous. Ridiculously complex. Ridiculously complex. Way overdone. Well, and, and it just turned into a nightmare. So, yeah, we still have them out there, but we don't have a... We don't have any cedars or anything like that, so those are those are probably all going away. We're we're in the, actually this is a good time to talk about .NET Rocks changes because we're in the process of making some big changes. We're moving our website to uh, Telerik Sitefinity, and we're going to host our MP3 files in the cloud. Awesome! Uh, I was just about to ask about that. Yep, we're going to use Amazon S3. And we're going to uh, host the the web sites themselves in the cloud, also, and the SQL Server in the cloud. Yeah, it seems like it makes sense now that the when you start actually doing the math around the costs, that uh, yeah, moving all the stuff to the cloud makes sense. It's about reliability. You know, for folks who've been listening to .NET Rocks for a long time, you know that we've had server outages, non-trivial ones, where we've been down for a day or two. Uh, we've had every imaginable problem uh we've had download we we have uh, folks listening all over the world so why not start localizing uh, those downloads get, get a european server get a south african server you know try and and help the folks that are further afield to get the show easily and uh the other thing we're going to do is we're going to go back to just the mp3 format and the reason that we had a split mp3 which hardly anybody downloads those either is because, remember at the time, Mark, we found that um, people were downloading them and burning them to CDs. And a CD can only handle, you know, what, maximum, like 80 minutes of music. And sometimes we would go over 80 minutes. We'd have shows that were two hours long sometimes. Um, we don't really do that much anymore. But uh, so we're, we're going back to just one file format. It's going to be MP3 and MP3 only. And we'll do a lo-fi version because there, there are real situations where people have like no bandwidth and that's uh so we'll do a probably even lower than what we're doing now but it is interesting to see that the the players have come full circle yeah you know that in the beginning there was only mp3 and then as many more players came on they all had their own formats and we went to support all of those and now it's pretty much every player supports mp3 again so yep. why bother with all those other formats right and also, you know, there was a problem at the time the iPod was in, was had features using MP4s or AAC files like bookmarking that M they didn't support with MP3s. And now, of course, that's a moot point as well. So there you go. Well, if we uh, I wanted to shift gears a little bit. You'd ask me what I've been doing lately. Uh, I uh, recently went up to Washington D.C. for uh, something called the Act Client. So I, I don't know if uh, Jonathan uh, Zuck is on your your roster. He is uh, for the shows. Have you talked to him already? We haven't talked to him yet. We're talking to him tomorrow. Right. Tomorrow morning. All right. Well, cool. Uh, tomorrow, when you talk to him, definitely ask him about the fly-in. But uh, I, I don't want to steal any of his thunder. But that was such a great experience for me. Uh, and I'll tell you a little bit about what the fly-in is. Uh, you know, you could basically think about ACT, the Association for. Uh, 
uh, competitive technology as sort of a lobbying group. And, uh, you know, they, they lobby for small business interests. And, uh, you know, getting involved with them has been good just to make me aware of some of the challenges that small businesses face uh, with government. And what the what they did for the fly-in was, uh, I guess most of the regional directors are, are, are sort of active uh, with ACT. And uh, they flew a bunch of us up to uh, D.C. for a couple of days. And uh, we got to schedule meetings with uh, uh, representatives, uh, senators, and, and House members. And, uh, you know, go around and talk to them as a group. Uh, about some of the challenges that we face. Wow. And uh, that that was just so cool to me. Uh, you know, they asked me at the at the end of all of it, you know, uh, what's the biggest thing uh, that, that struck you uh, being, being involved with, uh, you know, the fly-in? And uh, to me, it was just the accessibility, uh, you know, that, that you can go there and meet with a senator or House representative and talk about an issue uh, as a group or one-on-one. Uh, if you schedule it, you know they they really they really are there to serve us, and that that's the way it should be. Right? It's just about planning, right? Just getting organized enough, and it it speaks to the the challenge. The in, you know this is the democratic process that you can actually get in there and and talk to these folks and and try and help them understand an area that well we could do. you couldn't yeah well I. <laughs> I have a different country to contend with, my friend. But, you know, I actually did have an opportunity to work with ACT around the uh, uh, um, the Internet Task Force, ITEF. Oh, really? Yes. I, I actually met uh, uh, Vinton Cerf, and uh, we were talking no about kidding. issues around IPv6 and uh, mainly the, about name registration. Because, of course, registration has gone through this incredible evolution from originally this university-based thing into a commercial product. And... You know, there's a business to be had around taking care of domain names now, and uh, there's a question of how that's best served, you know, the trade-off of reliability versus cost-effectiveness versus flexibility. And so I got to be a part of those conversations. And same thing, you know, in my experience, remarkably accessible. Hmm. All you've got to do is show up, get organized, file your paperwork properly, and be involved, and you can have a remarkable influence you know, we underestimate the amount of influence we can have just by putting some cycles into uh, shaping these things. There's decisions being made right now about the way the internet's going to work in the future right. that uh, remarkably few people are cognizant of. Yeah. Well, it's good too that uh, you know ACT is there because they they know which representatives to talk to about which issues and when. So it's a uh, as an influencer, it's a really good uh, company to be hooked up with if you want to help make things happen. Because right. you, you know, you know we're just slowly developers. We don't know was, anything. Yeah, one thing that struck me was, uh, you know, just how smart their staff is. I mean, you know, if you start looking at, uh, you know, we all know, you know, Jonathan's a brilliant guy, uh, you know, powerful communication skills, and uh, really smart, really sharp. Uh, but, you know, Everybody is that works there. I mean, you know, I I've, I met you know uh, a bunch of the crew, and uh, they're all just brilliant guys. And aside from that, they're passionate about what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, passionate about actually be making sure that um, non technically minded legislatures don't crush 
this uh, this business that uh, is so predicated on rapid innovation and, and flexibility in the marketplace. It's a it's an interesting problem to have. You come from a political family, right, Mark? Uh, yes, my brother uh, was involved in politics for quite a while. He's retired now, uh, but yeah, actually, I'm I'm a, I'm a sort of right wing uh, Republican kind of guy in a lot of ways. Although I'd say I'm almost a libertarian. I'm uh, very financially, you know, conservative, and uh, I'm kind of liberal on social issues. Uh, but I, I come from a uh, a very liberal Democratic family, so. Uh, so they're, you know, they're most of them very left wing on everything. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, so, and then I married into, you know, a family that uh, is slightly to the right of Jerry Farwell. So, <laughs> <laughs> and you used to be so that like make, that makes Thanksgiving interesting every I year. Yeah, bet it does. And you used to be like, you know, the rock and roll kind of long hair, pot smoking, motorcycle riding kind of guy, right? When you met your wife. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I I don't know about the pot smoking, but yeah, I was you know sort of sort of long haired and. Uh, he was a troublemaker. Know. Yeah, I yeah. was a troublemaker exactly. So, Mark, do you want to send Richard away for a week and or two and come on as uh, co-host for you know give him a vacation? Yeah, man. If you ever want to take a, take a little time off, I am glad to to pop in and do it again. So I figure Carl's going to end up taking Salvo on tour at some point here, and it'll just be you and me, Mark. We'll have to take the show and and keep it running while Carl's. Up yeah, you know, I wouldn't party. mind as long as I could call in and you know bug you guys from time to time. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm sure we'll find a way to make that work. <laughs> that sounds well, like I, fun. I tell you, there, there, uh, you know, I look at I look at all the things I've done in my career. And, uh, you know, being involved in .NET Rocks, uh, you know, for the year that I did it, is one of the fondest memories I have. Oh, uh, that's great. I really enjoyed doing. Well, and I, I was just looking at the numbers the other day, and of course, you did the first 50 shows, and Rory Blythe jumped in for the second 50 shows, and I'm actually coming up on my 500th .NET Rocks episode. So now that I've proven my point, maybe I, I am done. I should go do something else <laughs> for a while. You know, that's a lot of shows. You should at least take a vacation, man. When was the last time you just, like, stopped working for a week? Well, you know, the the wife drags me off for a week here and there. And then there's yeah. the trips to Nepal. Right. Which, uh, contemplating another one next spring. But, uh, you know, since I can't control the content, when those things come up, we have enough shows in the can that uh, you, there's never a stop in the flow. Well, uh, we take a few weeks away. Sharp Fritz in the IRC chat says, send Mark out on the next DNR road trip. W- what is this about the next DNR Our, road trip? What DNR road what trip? What do you mean next <laughs> DNR road trip? We are done with that shit. <laughs> we are so done. And by the way, speaking of done, Mark Dunn was on the DNR road trip. He was in Atlanta. Oh, yes. that. If, if That's you, right. We, we sort of had a day-long adventure taking the RV back and... Uh, you know, I picked you guys up uh, somewhere in Georgia. Oh, in the 2010 closeout, I'd already flown out. You were part of the the RV return. Uh, well, yeah, Carl Carl called me. Uh, uh, I guess when was it Saturday morning? Right. And said, "Hey, can you uh, can you swing by and pick us up?" Yeah. And uh, it was somewhere like south of the airport, wasn't it, Carl? Yeah, it was a strange kind of area, but and it, and it was difficult to find the place, but. Right across the street was a really good Chinese restaurant. So we had a, <laughs> actually it was Chinese on one side, Japanese on the other. So we had like a hibachi lunch and it was great. Very, very yeah, civilized. you guys were at the hibachi grill there when I uh, I came to pick you up. Yeah. I also remember the 2005 road trip stop in Atlanta. 
Oh, that was so much fun. Where we had, uh, and Rory was there too, so we had all three hosts Yeah, there. that's right. The four of us got <laughs> wasted in yeah. bourbon. And I then think. yeah, that was Mark Dunn's party he put together oh, there. Oh, so much fun. Yeah, if, you ever, if you ever get a chance to go back and listen to that show. From the 2005 road yeah, trip. They, yeah, you, you realize it's it's a bunch of vignettes. They're little interviews cut together, spanned over several hours, and by the end of it, we were hammered. Yeah. All right, Mark. Which about it? C Sharp Fritz wants to know, uh, why did Mark leave .NET Rocks? Well, I mean, we uh, we were trying to schedule, sh- I think it was back when we were starting to try to schedule shows on a particular day of the week. Yeah, well, uh, we, were, and, uh, we, we were going from t- once every two weeks, we wanted to go to once every one week, you know, once right. a week. And remember, we didn't have a sponsor. We didn't have a sponsor, and then also back then I was struggling to get my business up and going, and yeah. uh, I, 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 you know, I couldn't serve two masters uh, back then. Yeah, and you were getting you were getting a little bit of notoriety, like uh, you were, you know, your business was taking off, your consulting business and training business. Yes, it was back then. That's right. So it was really just a matter of priorities. It was still a hobby back then. You know, when Mark left, Mark left before, you know, we started getting uh, advertising or anything like that. A very, very, you know, kind of an expensive time-wise. And, uh, you know, I I remember your your wife was like, you know, you you shouldn't be doing this all the time. Yeah, she was. I mean, she... uh, she pays more attention to money than I do, so she, yeah. you know, if I'm if I'm doing something and not getting paid for it, she she's the one that goes, why? Yeah, yeah. Why, Mark, are you doing that? Right, and it was a considerable commitment. Yeah, you know, uh, people don't realize what you guys put into the show. I mean, it's a huge amount of work, and yeah, now you're really doing is. what two shows a week. Yeah, it really is. And, uh, you know, without our sponsors like Telerik and Data Dynamics, Grape City, we wouldn't be able to do it just because of the sheer amount of work. I mean, if I was just doing this for fun, we wouldn't be able to do this. I mean, there's just no way. But uh, since we can afford to pay editors and, uh, you know, and they really enjoy their work and uh, they're really good at it, then it works out. Uh, Pete Brown says, Mark is like that third founder of Apple that goes out for $800 instead of 10% stock. <laughs> well, I guess. Wow, that's, I don't know. that's deep. Yeah. I didn't know there was a third founder of Apple. I, I just I think about either. Jobs and Wozniak, but, you know, maybe there was another guy. Yeah. Then I didn't know there was a third founder. That's news to me. That's how it goes. Uh, you know, there was a member of the Beatles that didn't make it either, right? Well, there's one that died and one that sucked. <laughs> really? Stu yeah, Sutcliffe the, the, died. What was the guy's name? Pete something. Pete that, Best uh, was the first drummer before Ringo, yep. and, and uh, he, wasn't, he didn't make the cut. George Martin basically said, you're going to have to replace him if you want the record yeah. contract. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough one. Yeah. Sucks to be Pete Best. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. No kidding. It's hard, it's hard to be known the rest of your life as a moron, right? Well, yeah, not not really a moron. You know, I I used to be I used to go to Beatles conventions. Believe it or not, I was I'm always been a huge Beatles fan, 
And uh, he was a guest at a Beatles convention once, as was George Martin. George Martin was a guest at one of these in uh, in Boston. But they held one at Ocean Beach right here, Brandon, like, uh, I don't know, years and years ago at the, at the big room down at Ocean Beach, which is like a big casino room on a beach. And uh, Pete Best was the guest. And he told stories of, you know, just like hanging out with the Beatles and piles of vomit on the carpet that stayed there for years and months and years and you know this this was the level of uh stories that we got from pete best was about you know disgusting things like vomit on the carpet all about throwing up how nice well uh mr dunn i think we're about out of time it's coming up on our lunch break now yeah all right thanks so much for calling in always a pleasure to talk to you mark oh yeah i always enjoy it it's always good to talk to you guys Yep, that. Yeah. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC Yes, I'm a... Uh...